This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. We're in the middle of a cold snap in the UK. Some say it could even be minus 10 in Nottingham. News that could chill Forest fans to the bone as things are about to get frosty. Everton have already felt the chill. Could they feel the freeze further as the Premier League will announce today who has failed to meet the profit and sustainability rules? And yes, this isn't deja vu. Plus, we'll throw what's annoyed us from the weekend into the icy depths with our usual Monday feature, Get in the Sea. Slim pickings as we are mid-winter break, but I'm sure Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor can find something that's wound them up on today's Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast. How are you doing, boys? Very, very cold. I can barely feel my fingertips at the moment. I'm not built for this kind of weather. Hang on, wait. You're not built for this kind of weather. You are a Mancunian, born and bred. I'm the least mank mank ever, honestly. I don't think I've ever known anyone who's born and bred in Manchester. What makes a mank mank? Not you. (laughs) What makes a mank mank? Somebody who can identify the Stone Roses that was on the radio the other week and you couldn't couldn't (laughs) identify the Stone Roses. Somebody who doesn't moan about the cold. Right then. Anyway. Well, Marley's already done his get in the sea, which is how unmancunian Joel is. <laughs> that's, such a, that's so disrespectful, honestly. So you disrespectful. should see the look on this man's face. He's not very oh, happy. He's crying. Well, you'll be glad that you're not Forest or Everton fans today, because as we sit here in the studio and record this podcast, it's unconfirmed, but it looks likely that Everton, who have already, of course, had 10 points docked this season by the Premier League for breaching profit and sustainability rules from a couple of seasons ago, they could be docked further points and Nottingham Forest could also join them with a points deduction based on what the Premier League say later today. So as I mentioned, we're not privy to that information yet. By the time you listen to this show, it could well have been decided the punishments for both if there is going to be one at all. Basically, we said at the time, didn't we, when Everton got docked 10 points, Joel, that we would see this situation crop up again in the Premier League in the not-too-distant future. Did you think that that not-too-distant future would be two months later? Because I didn't. Yeah, to, to see these size clubs, especially the size of Everton, be docked points is a surprise. But now to see more and more teams go out of the woodwork, I mean, we saw that once the accounts were made up following the 31st of December, it felt like quite a few teams were nervous, namely Nottingham Forest, where there were murmurs that they were quite nervous for their accounts, which obviously follow on from the championship season of making losses. And we know how many transfers they've made and sales they've made. So it's going to be... An interesting perspective and point of view for the teams below them, you would say, because they're going to be waiting on this, thinking it's a lifeline. Uh, This season, in terms of the bottom half of the table, it can be defined as the lifeline season because any other time, the likes of Burnley and the likes of Sheffield United, they'd be absolutely doomed for. Now they'll be hoping that once the news eventually comes out, because as of right now, we don't know exactly what the extent of the punishments are going to be for Nottingham and potentially Everton to a further extent, But if I was them two clubs, I'd just be thinking, my God, thank our lucky stars that this is happening to us right now because it is truly such a blessing for them to potentially still be in it. So just to bring this into context, the Premier League will confirm today whether any of the Premier League clubs have breached the profit and sustainability rules and whether they'll be facing charges. Of the 20 clubs, two of them are going to be most likely to receive a charge. One is Everton, who of course have already been charged for a previous season's breach of profit and sustainability rules. The other is Nottingham Forest, who of course have only been back in the Premier League a couple of seasons. And before everyone starts 
banging the walls about Manchester City. Manchester City's case is from many seasons ago, starts many seasons ago, and of course there's multiple more charges as well. So I think in terms of what we're going to find out today from the Premier League, Manchester City won't be involved in that. It's a different situation. But obviously the precedent has been there with Everton being docked 10 points. So let's look at things from a Nottingham Forest perspective. I guess they'll be ready to push back. They'll be ready to fight their corner counter-argument ready to go. But if the precedent is minus 10 points, can you understand Forest fans fearing the worst today in terms of the news that might come out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like this whole FFP thing just has launched this huge wave of whataboutery. And it's if you're going to charge them, what about Everton? If you want to charge them, what about Man City? And then Everton say, what about Man City? And Man City would say, what about Chelsea years ago? And then anyone in the future who might fall foul of it We'll say, what about Forest? What about Everton? You know, why did why did they get ten points, and why do we, you know, we lost less than them, so we should only get eight points or whatever it may be. But it's all frustrating to be honest, because this isn't to me. This isn't football. This is this is finance. This is um, accounting, and it's not. It's just not what football's about, is it? Minus points deductions for decisions that nobody. Nobody takes. I don't think anyone's trying to take the mick with what they're doing. They're just trying to survive in the Premier League and compete in a very uneven playing field. And you can't really blame... I, look, I've, I've given Forrest no end of stick over the last two years and I don't don't take any of it back at all. I think what Marinakis is doing is running the club very weirdly. Um, you know, he's, he's power, power hungry. Literally can't think of anyone I'd, I wouldn't want to work for other than a character like him where you can't trust him. But he's he's having a go and he's he's... Gambling financially, which is kind of what you have to do. And the, even though the players that they signed, I always criticise them for not being that good. They were good enough last year to stay up and they'll be good enough this year to stay up. And there's no reason why Forrest shouldn't carry on progressing slightly every year because they won't have to sign as many players as they did when they got into the league and signed, was it 40 players and spent you know, the money that is now getting them in trouble. They spent a quarter of a billion pounds on new signings mm. since they got promoted from the championship, which was in 2022. So, yeah, but in they terms say of that the pro- game's worth 170 million, don't they? The, the playoff. Obviously, we know the rules now with Everton's case. You can only lose 105 million pounds over a period of three years. You can only lose 15 million pound of the club's own money, which is bizarre which means that basically the owners have to put £90 million in of their own money to basically... That's like basically their mortgage. They have to pay yeah. that, otherwise you get your house gets repossessed in normal world. Very, very similar, very <laughs> similar analogy. comes and kills you if you are in the football world, which Precisely, is but weird. I think the key message is the fact that Forest have come up from the Championship and have tried to bridge the gap between being a Championship club who, as we've said many a time, particularly when Steve Cooper got sacked, we brought this point to light, Forest were never supposed to be in the Premier League when they got promoted. Steve Cooper came in to fight the fire with them in the relegation zone, saw them surge up the table, and they ended up winning the playoffs and got into the Premier League. Amazing, amazing achievement from Nottingham Forest. And that is just the beauty of English football. It's why we love it so much. It's why we love the pyramid and the promotion and relegation system so much. Forest probably weren't equipped to survive in the Premier League. And after spending so long away from the top division... They had seven players, didn't they? After when when everyone left after the playoff final, contracts expired and loans expired. They had seven players on the books. Like, what what do you want them to do? What, do you want them to sign seven free transfers and compete with a fifteen man squad so they don't go over FFP? They, they had to spend. They spent daftly in in some places. Lingard, for example, 
They didn't need to sign Gibbs White for forty million. They didn't need to sign other players for big fees. I forget all all the ones they were. If I was starting to list them, I'd be here till tomorrow. But still, they had to do that. And taking into account a three-year loss period where two of those years were in the championship, where the demands are completely different and the wage structure is completely different and the opposition is literally a level below. I agree with that. That's what, why I feel you know, like you need a bit you, of a grace what, period, don't you? Because yeah. they can't, like, you're going to get a huge payment to come up into the Premier League. I'd say they if, they, if listen- they survive for three years in the Premier League and they've lost over £105 million, but all those three years have been in the Premier League, retrospectively, hit, hit them with the book, but... They've not been in the Premier League for three years. Yeah, because all the clubs in the Championship, they're desperate to get to the Premier I know it was reported that they made a £63 million loss in the Championship, but mm-hmm. that accounts for the last three years. So they've obviously made a desperate attempt to try and get into the Premier League. And now they're saying that they're arguing that they could have sold Brennan Johnson in that June before they sold him for £30 million. Mm-hmm. They sold him for £50 million the summer after. And they're saying, well, we would have been £20 million out of pocket, yet on our accounts it shows even worse because it's not in that same tax year. Yeah. So it kind of doesn't balance itself out anyway. They're literally yeah. saying to the Premier League, do you want us to sell our our players for cheaper yeah. so that it makes our books look better? Or do you actually want us to make money and sell players for a good amount of profit? So that's what the, I think the Brennan Johnson transfer, I think that's going to literally make or break. If the Premier League don't accept that explanation, I think they might actually be throwing the book at them with this one. Well, talking of making or breaking, Nottingham Forest are currently three points above Everton. Of course, Everton themselves are just above the dotted line by a single point ahead of Luton. They had their points taken off them, all 10 of them, the harshest sanction imposed in Premier League history in November. Let's just say Forest do feel the full force of the Premier League's punishment and have the book thrown at them a la Everton were a couple of months back and they get docked 10 points. That would put them on 10 points because they currently have 20 and it would drop them all the way to 19th in the Premier League table. From what I've seen from the Nottingham Forest fans, Marley, they feel that a minus 10-point deduction would effectively relegate the club. It's not cut and dry, is it? Six points. Six points. New manager they've still got. Like, you know, this, yeah, the, the bounce it, thing is still there. That's what I'm trying to say. It's, game in hand on Everton true. as well. Yeah. It's true. Game in hand got on to Everton. Got play them yeah. again, yeah. I would assume. But Everton had to go on a, quite a big run, didn't they? They won four games in a row after the sanction. Yeah. So, are Forest not capable of doing that though? Not on the last. I'd two. say I'd say the most more not capable. On, of, not on the form I've seen this season. I wouldn't say they'd I'm, be able to win I'm, four in a row. Well, I'm saying they're better better than Burnley and Sheffield United for definite. And Luton, as scrappy as they are, have they got the quality to to keep scrapping for another four months? I'm not sure. So I'm not sure. It's basically it's if whether you think they're going to go up or or uh, sorry stay up or go down. It's not cut and dry. It's not. It's not like you've played 32 of 38 games and you've got, you know, a 10-point deduction to make up and a six-point gap to make up in those final five or six games. So still time is on their side a little bit, but, you know, the the psychological hit of being hit for, you know, almost to be made an example of is... You know, a bit of a joke, really. Um, we could end up being in a situation where Everton and Nottingham are battling it out for that final Premier League place at the end of the season. <laughs> well, yeah. the problem Which with is Everton crazy, is if they get docked further points, I talk about it being the death knell for Nottingham Forest in terms of their survival in the Premier League. Well, if Everton get hit with another points deduction... I, I, well, I don't believe they're going to get any more points based on the details of what's happening so far. I think 10 will be the max. Let's say they were to get five, five more extra that takes them down to 12 points, which is level with Burnley. 
and they'd only be a good five points off safety again. Everton are probably capable of doing that. That's why I've repeated quite a lot this season. This, If you're going to ever get a points deduction in Premier League history, maybe bar that Derby season, which was appalling. Because <laughs> everyone would take a 20-point one, you'd still survive. Yeah, but the scrap above Derby was quite good. <laughs> yeah, true. No, that's true. That's true. But if there was ever a season to get a penalty deduction, it is this one. Because it's quite embarrassing for Burnley and Sheffield that all these teams are getting potential 10 points, potential 10 points. And they're still managing to leapfrog. But is this game, not part of the conversation which completely encapsulates exactly what Nottingham Forest fans are be screaming about right now? How are Sheffield United expected to compete in the Premier League without spending money? They spend too much money, they get punished by the Premier League. Exactly. That's the argument of the whole situation, isn't it? That's why I really hate the fact that, as we've talked about, we, talk, we had a good conversation about it a, a while ago of how the historic clubs, the founding fathers, let's say, the Premier League, they are safe to spend whatever they want Apart from maybe this season, it feels like the, the vice script's gone a bit tighter. I mean, I'm even looking at Man United at the moment. It seems like the cash has to dry up at some point because not in terms of not having money, but in terms of the fact that what we've not balanced our books. Yeah? Yeah. We're even looking at the same as Barcelona, which, I mean, they've, <laughs> we could want to talk about managing money. They're not the best example. But for well, they have an example of how not to do it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But the teams that are coming up and the teams that are trying to survive how on earth are you meant to balance your books? Let's say you have an ambitious owner who comes in at Sheffield and says, I want to put so much money into this project, but Can't. they have to stay like, it's just insane, like Newcastle. Insane, Newcastle. Just yeah. like Newcastle. You have to raise your revenues and how long is that going to take? Okay, you have to do things the right way, maybe like Brighton, invest in data, mm. go for younger players. But even then for Brighton, you know, they still get the players pinched. They're still going to start falling down you the know, table. Bright, Brighton yeah. fought relegation for four or five years when they came up. Yeah, Chris Hutton, 17th, 16th, yeah, yeah, yeah. 15th was maybe the highest. It was only when Potter came in and he had a, a little bit more of a, a settled squad who knew how to fight. Then he could start saying, right, now we're going to try and play football. And then had a new, a few good signings. And, mm. you know, the rest is history for Brighton. Now they're in Europe and one of the you know most mm. watchable teams around the world. I but that's the only right. way you can do it now. The drawbridge has been pulled up, to use a phrase that we've used many times on this podcast over the years. It's now almost impossible for a club to try and break into that. The avenues are all being closed off. There are so many different reasons why things can't happen in the way that they used to. Whereas if you look at a team like Leicester, who went on to win the Premier League, they will have ambitions of trying to be one of the biggest clubs in the country and probably are now in the top 10, 15 clubs in the country in terms of their size and notoriety because of what they achieved in 2016 when they won the Premier League. But it's impossible, I think, for other clubs to do that now. The ability for that to happen isn't there. You'll see with Newcastle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've we've spent up already and people say, oh, you've spent £250 million in, you know, three years. What, what do you want? It's like, well, the ability to just compete. We've got the funds, we've got the infrastructure, we've got the fan base, we've got the stadium, we've got the season ticket sales, we've got Champions League football this year. Oh, had it, sorry. Um, but you don't immediately get rewarded for that. You have to wait for the bloody settle, but the, the balance books to settle down. And we've got a new like um, shirt sponsor, which was paying far more than Fun88 was. I think Fun88 were playing five million a season. You don't even get a shirt sponsor for that. That's about average for a shirt, uh, a sleeve sponsor, sorry, around about now. So they were getting, you know, we were getting screwed over by Mike Castle, who just wanted to sell the space and just have a sponsor. Um, and seller have came in. I think they're paying twenty five million a season or something like that, which is more of a going rate. Um, but when do you see that in the books? And if it's only twenty five million a year, that's not that much because you you say, all right, there's twenty five million a year. You go and spend that on one player, 
So we're we've get we're getting these deals in place now with different commercial partners and stuff, but it takes time to then see that and reflect that and actually be given that money. But if the money's being spent largely on players, Marley, does that not then bring in more calls for a salary cap? Part of the reason the Premier League has grown to the extent it has is because the money in this league, in this country, that has attracted the best players to English football. If you put in a salary cap, you're less likely to attract the best players in English football because they can get the same wages elsewhere with a better climate Mm. With better food, etc., no, etc. It needs to be a worldwide thing because, like, like we've said before, if if UEFA brought it in or FIFA or whatever, yeah, there would be another pop up league that comes comes along. Yeah, and, and you can't just it. say and to just players, go, "Can you?" By the way, you're not getting paid two hundred and fifty grand a week anymore. It's going down to fifty. The yeah. players will riot. If you think about the last time a situation like Newcastle's happened in the Prem was City. And before the FFP regulations came in, they'd spent close to 400 million already. Mm. You would already have 400 million pounds worth of players adjusted to inflation, probably 600 million. You'd be in a similar situation to what Chelsea are in right now, but even more so. And it's it's a good analogy what Nile uses, which is the drawbridge is closed. Manchester City have got in and jumped over that moat just before it's been brought up. And now everyone else has to abide by the rules, which makes me sometimes believe, should it be retrospective action? because they are never going to be challenged ever for what they've done. Yeah. That's not their fault, but because that also, was the rules. But it's time. also the same thing about competition, and I'm not a motorsport fan, and this is going to be a really clunky analogy, but think about Formula One. You know, Let's just say Ferrari have more money than any other manufacturer. I don't know if that's true, by the way. I'm not a Formula One fan, but just hear me out. Ferrari then should be able to, theoretically, spend more money on their car than all of the competition and make the best car and win the race every single week. Football doesn't work like that. Manchester City, many people feel that because they are owned by who they're owned by, same with Newcastle, should be able to spend as much money on players as they want. And it's then, anti-competition. It's anti-competition, it anti-competition. But then also you have the FFP, which is brought in to kind of regulate that sort of thing, to make it so one team doesn't yeah. dominate football the whole time. And that's why I think it's fair. I know, Marley, you might not agree with me, but I think it's fair that that's implemented on a club like Newcastle because then you're looking at teams like Nottingham Forest who cannot really spend anything. Mm. And Newcastle are literally bankrolled to infinity and beyond. And they could, if the rules were different now, Just, could spend whatever they wanted. There must be a reason why they don't do what I said. And I'm not saying but, that in an arrogant yeah. way, as if to say, why aren't they listening to me? It just, what I'm trying to say is, I mentioned a few weeks ago, there should be a thing where clubs should be only allowed to spend a percentage of their revenue, percentage of what they make per season on player wages. For example, Newcastle should have been able to spend more money on player wages and transfers this year because they got into the Champions League last year and they got to a cup final last year. Nottingham Forest then will know by getting into the Premier League their commercial value increases and they can spend up to the point of which they know they're going to be making in terms of revenue. Otherwise, you get a situation like Everton. So to bring it back to Everton, they got 10 points deducted in November. The Independent Commission found the club's losses in the 21-22 season to be £124.5 million. You're only allowed to lose £35 million a season. They lost £90 million more than that in one season. That was for two seasons ago. Now, what they're looking at at the moment, the Premier League, is last season. Now, you cannot really accurately tell me that after losing £124.5 million in 2021-22, Everton will have been able to cut that, cut that loss by £90 million to comply the following season. So this is this is the situation we're in. The squad couldn't couldn't recoup that. No No chance. chance. Don't forget though, they've made some really stupid signings. For example, Gilfie Sigurdsson getting 
chalked off the books. That's a that's almost like a fifty million loss in a sense. Yeah. Which is what but, they try to yeah, offset. I can imagine against the appeal. But yeah. I think a good example of what you just said is, for example, Leicester, when they won the league in miraculous circumstances. That's where I can understand where getting that bonus for winning the league. I know the accounts are very different, so it won't even make sense because I'm sure they get the payments for winning the league the following season. But when they won the league, of course, the bigger clubs sniped all of their best players, which means that the following season, when they end up getting that parachute payment for their amazing season, is almost like damage limitation because they've lost the gut and the main strength of their squads. Mm -hmm. So it almost like needs to have some kind of advance payment to allow them to invest and reward them for that season that they've just had, which has been amazing. Because like, let's say for example, Newcastle uh, had, you know, won the Champions League this season. And then all of Europe's top clubs went and clipped off all of your players. Mm -hmm. You're gonna have that money from the Champions League the next season, but then it might be too late by that time as in, you, you've already gone so far, your players are already gone, so you've got to over-invest mm. to try and keep your club to where it actually was. And that's, I think Leicester were the closest team in the last 30 years to breaching the top four because they got top four once, which was, of course, when they won the league. Yeah. They were close to getting it twice. Yeah. If they were to manage to get top four that one season, I think they might have been permanently there if it had not been for their owners falling short because of COVID as well, which dramatically drained the finances. Mm. That is literally the only way to do it, mm. to have a miraculous season, breach everyone yep. and try to retain your squad. But then how do you retain your squad when you've not really got the funds available? To or do you it? do it in the yeah. way, like I said earlier, the way that Brighton do it. And then they keep selling players for a hundred million quid, but that is only sustainable for a certain period of time. They you're can't do that be, forever. You're never going to go higher than no, that. Of course really. not. But that's the best that they can hope for as a club. And as I said, at the time of recording this podcast, we don't know whether Everton will be docked further points. We don't know the sanctions imposed on either them or Nottingham Forest or indeed 18 other Premier League clubs. We just don't know right now what the situation will be. I'm sure we'll find out a little bit more by the time tomorrow's podcast is available. So you can listen to that by hitting subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts on Football Social Daily. Next up, though, we're going to do our usual Monday feature. It's Get In The Sea. We'll see you after this. This is the award-winning Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget you can get in touch with us on social media. The links to those channels are in the description and the link to the Telegram group as well. My name's Niall. Joel and Marley joining me in the studio as always. And as always, on a Monday, we do a feature called Get in the Sea, which is our opportunity to get some things off of our chest that has annoyed us from the Premier League weekend. But only a handful of games for this week. So maybe that might be something that needs to get in the sea as well. How are we feeling about this winter break, boys? Are you a fan? Because it was pretty intense over Christmas, Marley, all those fixtures. So how are you feeling now that we've got less games over a weekend? It's just a bit weird, isn't it? I'm not really used to it. I didn't really realise how few games were on this weekend. And then I kind of forgot about football for a weekend. It was almost like I looked at the fixtures and I was like, oh, there's no Premier League. And then I realised that Newcastle playing at half five and I was like, oh, that's the only game. Yeah, but is that not because you were prioritising Marley? Eh? Is that not because you were prioritising Marley against Guinea? 
Oh, I thought you meant me. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally like, where's he going with this? I should have clarified in the sorry, African, yeah, African Cup of Nations. Cup of Nations. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> Africa Cup of Nations, Asia Cup. Yeah, I genuinely thought you just meant me. I was like, what does he mean me time? Or what, what's going about? Um, yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. I just kind of forgot about it. I even forgot about my fantasy football team, which is now an absolute mess. Because, I've caught up with you, you know. Because Salah and uh, Son have gone and they're in my team. So they've gone. I've got... You know, three Newcastle players on the bench that were uh, playing Man City and all sorts. So that's in an absolute dire straits right now. Yeah, so. your team of Aitnuri, He Chan, Son, <laughs> yeah. everyone under the sun is Basuma. gone. Yeah. I need my wild card, and the game week doesn't even finish until next week because they split it in half. So that's an, that's annoying. But yeah, I just kind of ignored football a bit this weekend, and I didn't watch any of Man United Tottenham, and then I watched the. So watch highlights much this morning. Watch, watch I, Newcastle City. The only thing I watched was the full <laughs> Newcastle City game. I wonder what you're going to throw in the sea then. But to be fair, Africa Cup of Nations is on and it's always worth a watch if you are missing your football. Why not set your location on NordVPN to the Ivory Coast? Check out some of the domestic coverage of AFCON 2020. I think it's 2023. They do it in the January for the year before. So I think this is the AFCON for last year's tournament by changing your location on NordVPN. That is something you can do with a VPN. You can change your location to anywhere in the world, whether you're overseas, you can change it back to the UK. Or if you're in the UK, you can change it to somewhere else. Or indeed, wherever you are in the world, you can change your geolocation, which is always really helpful for getting around geoblock content. There's nothing more annoying than when you're on social media, you go to watch a clip of an amazing goal and it pops up and it says, this clip is not available in your country. So, so annoying. And a way to get around that is by getting yourself a NordVPN subscription. And because you're a Football Social Daily listener, we can give you four months for free and a discounted plan. Just head to nordvpn.com forward slash FSD. Also getting around that geolocation problem is great for streaming services as well, wherever you might find yourself around the world. So that link again, nordvpn.com forward slash FSD. You can get four months for free on that discounted plan. So go and check it out. The link to which will be in the description of this podcast. We love a bit of AFCON here at Football Social Daily, but we also love doing Get in the Sea on a Monday. So now you've had a bit of thinking time, even though there wasn't much football to take in over the weekend, including Spurs against Man United, which Marley said he didn't watch. I'll let the loser of the weekend go first. (laughs) Marley, take it away. You sausage. (laughs) Um... I found, obviously with the, the lack of football, I found it a bit tough. However, I quickly have come up with a bit of a, a backhanded... An emergency. Yeah, in the sea. a bit of a backhanded one. I'm going to put Kevin De Bruyne in the sea. Oh, wow. Do you know why? Vindicative. No, I don't know why. He's just too good. <laughs> <laughs> He's just too good at football. It's really annoying. Um, because, look, obviously Newcastle went 2-1 up in the game. Um, and you can you can criticise how we, we approach the game as much as you like. I would counter that with saying, as long as you're prepared to counter-attack against Man City, there is nothing wrong with how we, we approach the game. We'll stick eight behind the ball, we'll leave Isaac up front on his own, and we'll use Gordon's space on the counter-attack. And it worked to a T. We scored two brilliant goals. Only criticism of that is probably we scored them too early, because you go in at half-time, and then Eddie Howe goes, do you know what, we've kind of got to sit back now. We can't really play the same way in case our counter-attack breaks down and we get caught on the transition, which nearly happened a couple of times at 2-1. Um, but when you get an hour in, or I think it was uh, 21 minutes he played, so what's that, 69 minutes into the game, and you look, you're looking and you're seeing your team play 9-10 behind the ball, 
and you're thinking, we're hanging on here, we're doing all right, we're not conceding too many chances, they're missing Haaland, which means they can't you know, whip crosses into the box, for example, so they'd get they'd get it out wide and then it'd have to be a low, a low ball in, which we defended okay, except for the Bernardo Silva wonder goal with his little back heel. Um, and then you look and you think, oh, De Bruyne is on the bench, he's, he's definitely coming on. And I was just thinking, I hope he's a little bit rusty. I hope he takes just just that little bit of time to settle in. Because um, by his own admission, he's not fully fit. And if he's not fully fit and he does what he did against Newcastle, that is just disgusting. <laughs> and that is why City will still win the title. And I was actually kind of happy after the game, after my initial anger had settled down, that when we always talk about the title race, and I kept saying they've still got De Bruyne to come back, that is why. They would never... We would have won that game 2-1 if De Bruyne wasn't on the bench, I am 100% convinced, because nobody in the world, I don't think, can play that pass to Oscar Bob. And nobody in the world has that type of movement for his his, his goal where he passed it into the net, which is hard hard as hell to do anyway. He's so good at that, isn't he? Just like that controlled but with such power, that finish, it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, the the build-up to that goal, if you watch his movement... And you watch him, he sort of runs away from the ball and then he he almost goes and gets deliberately marked by a centre-back and into, into a space where nobody's worried about him. And then he just moves back out of it again. And because we haven't got a holding defensive midfielder who just wants to tackle you, we've got Bruno who wants to get the ball in his own bit of space and pass. Um, he takes advantage of that. He's been watching it from the bench. He knows what's going to happen. He knows where the pockets of space are. So he picks one up, drives forward, goes through Cher's legs into the bottom corner out of reach of Dubravka. And then for the second one, he does the same thing. He passes to Rodri and then he, he wanders away, not interested. Then he drops back into like what people call a quarterback position these days, which kind of annoys me a little bit that we're now talking about uh, De Bruyne as if he's Tom Brady or whatever. But even Tom Brady would have struggled to put a pass that accurate onto anyone, um, anyone's foot. And the way he curled it, the pass still isn't even on. If you pause it when he's got the ball at his feet, the pass just isn't on. You still can't see it, yeah, even well, though you know what's what going to happen. That's what makes him so good. He sees things that other players just don't see. Yeah, and I mean, Bob makes a good run. I, that, I'm impressed every time I see Oscar Bob play. He looks like a fair. reincarnation of Sane. He looks really good. I just, he reminds me of him with his strides. You know, like yeah. Sane was just... Ve- it looked like he's moving slowly, but he gets distance quite quickly yeah well, is it time we start giving credit really to the manchester city academy then oh, we've given that years ago but everyone said pep guardiola was reluctant to use young manchester city players and he was at first but we're starting to see him use it more and obviously palmer's gone on to chelsea now but cole palmer both doyles who are out on loan one mm-hmm. at wolves one at leicester you've got rico lewis who's an england international McAtee. now united scoring bangers every week yeah oscar bob Jaden mm. sancho Romeo Lavia. It's yeah. never a criticism about City. It's criticism of Guardiola. We didn't know whether he was going to give them the chance because yeah. he was almost yeah. lo- he's always point. loading out and selling and buying a player rather than using someone on the bench. But I think what is quite clear is that Guardiola is only reluctant until he can see that a young player can buy into his ideas quickly. Yeah. As we saw Rico Lewis, you know, he can kind of play in this insider, inverted right back, go into the midfield. You know, he's he's very it's just dynamic, them, isn't, isn't it? Bazunu, Wilson, but when, when I watched the Dillat. I watched the last twenty minutes of the Newcastle game, mm. and um, well, that was when you wanted to put it on, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nice one. And as soon as I saw De Bruyne, De Bruyne warm up in my back of my mind, I was thinking the same as you, which is, is he going to be up to speed yet? Because mm. he's been out. He's, that's a major injury that what he had. Yeah. But on the flip side, I was thinking. If City need anything right now, it's a final pass. 
Because every single time they were just squandering, like they were not clinical enough, not hitting the, like, you know, straight at Pope or not Dubravka. having that final pass. Uh, Dubravka, Dubravka, sorry, he had a yeah, great yeah. game, by the way. Yeah. Uh, hitting it straight at Dubravka or not having that incisive little killer pass. De Bruyne does everything of that in a mm. world-class one chance all it he needs. And that's all you needed. It was the old Man City of um, when, before they got Haaland, it's they have the same style of play as they do when they don't have Haaland now. Like they'll work it. They'll have you pinned in the 18 yard box and they'll work it to the right and they won't put a cross yeah. in. So they'll work it back to the left and they won't put a cross Just in. Just the time for space. Wait, yeah, for and, and, and there exactly. is, there is zero space because there's no space. There's, there's 20 men in a 30 yard period, uh, area of the field. So you need someone who can hit the eye of a needle and unless the Brown is on the pitch, you don't do that. Bernardo Silva can't do that. Rodri can't do that. And they're amazing players, but yep. they can't do what De Bruyne did. And his pass... Can't believe he's going in the sea. Ridiculous. Can't believe that. So, for being too good, <laughs> you can go in the sea. That could be the first ever time someone's been in the sea for being <laughs> too good. There's a first time for everything. Go on, Joel. Your turn. So, contrastingly... He says that De Bruyne was too good. I say Manchester United were too shit. That's my contrasting <laughs> point for the second half, especially. Niall, I am at my wits' end. You drew 2 2 with a Tottenham team are above you. So you have got bad, both of their best players missing. Come on now. Because you have to watch football with your eyes. No, I'm, saying, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying you. I'm not saying you, as in a general you. Behave. Have to watch football with your eyes. 2 2. In that second half, Spurs controlled the possession. I think it was something like 75% at Old Trafford. That's not mm. acceptable. To concede 30 seconds after half time. Yes. How many times have I come on this podcast after a weekend and United have either blunt, uh, squandered a lead after 30 seconds because the team got on the other end yeah. and scored? Mm. I can name, I can literally name off the top of my head Bayern Munich, Arsenal, West Ham. It goes on and on and on where this team is so vulnerable when they're winning a game. I don't know if it's like a inferiority complex or a bit of fear that instills in the team where they go ahead and instead of thinking, let's go and kill the game off, which we could have in that first half, we had so many chances. Hmm. It's It almost reverts back to defence first and not concentrating and not marking your plays because that Bentancur goal, that was so preventable that it just felt like they came out of half time completely slow in their minds. Is what's annoying for you the fact that even without Son, even without Madison, he was, and the, even he without, was the master snooker, James Madison. bored <laughs> 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 up. <laughs> and even without Harry Kane, who of course left at the start of the season, we've seen from Ange Postacoglu in a short space of time a way that Tottenham like to play. We still don't know sometimes how Manchester United are going to play because I thought you started the game really well. Yeah. But yet, when it got to the second half, you conceded at the start of the second half. I guess confusing from a Manchester United fan's perspective to see Ange Postacoglu mould a style of playing a blueprint. Yeah, Eric Ten Hag's had longer and obviously does have injuries, but even with injuries, Tottenham was still able to show what they're capable of in terms of the way they play, Yeah. whereas United probably weren't. Well, have you guys ever seen Forrest Gump? The cliche line from that, life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> Manchester United are like a box of chocolates. You, joke, you do not know what you're going to get every game. When you look at that first half, we should have blew them out of the water. The thing that annoys me the most is that they had Timo Werner as a starting left winger. They had no Son, no Madison. Van der Ven looked still a little bit injured, to be fair. Uh, Yves Basuma's gone. 
Sars gone. They've literally had their whole team gutted out. And yet I still saw something in their team which was attacking. They had no fear in the team. And we saw that when Spurs went down to nine men against Chelsea about three months ago. And we were all baffled with the fact that they were playing on the high line. I can suddenly, and I've, it's almost clicked to me now, Ange is a fearless manager. Whether that might be to his detriment in future, potentially, we might see it in a bigger games. But he instills a fearlessness in his team, which I really like. Where no matter the opponent, no matter the circumstance and the situation or the personnel they have under them, he will go toe-to-toe with you and he'll go blow for blow. And that's what I really like. Whereas United, it it depends. Like, for example, the 7-0 at Anfield, inferiority complex completely. We didn't want to go toe-to-toe with them, so they reverted back and allowed them to attack, in a sense. After 2-0 down, the, the floodgates open and the mines went in and that was it. Of course, you have to accept that the pressure at United is very different. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Very, very different yeah. to any club probably in the, the world. The scrutiny is more than... Barcelona, maybe. The scrutiny is more than any other it's English different. club. And yeah. Liverpool fans will think, well, what about playing for us? And Arsenal fans will think, what about playing for us? No, the scrutiny playing it's for different. Manchester United is more than both of those teams, in my opinion. It's a furnace. It's a furnace and it's a spotlight in every area of the pitch. If you're the one who's the weakling in that team, you'll get absolutely shredded for it after it for weeks on end until you can prove yourself. And that's why I do have sympathy. And I feel like it's very... Uh, reductionist to compare Tottenham to United and wouldn't come into United and do what he's done because the well, pressure he could try potentially but uh, United have tried with a lot of managers in the last 10 years and I've, I've still not seen a style maybe I think he would I think, I think he'd try it it might not work he would try but I don't know if it'd be successful and how but, long it would be successful for but the difference is like Andrews came into Spurs and just gone we're going to have a bloody go, mate. And then <laughs> Eric Ten Hag's coming to Man United. Please clip that. Please clip that. That, is, that needs to get in the seat. That's straight. good. That is an that, awful, that's yours already. That was a good one. Australian accent. It's terrible. But what I would say <laughs> but, is... Ange, no, I didn't even finish your point there. Well, let me say, Ange went into Spurs <laughs> yeah. and managed to convince Daniel Levy... And what did he say? Let's have a bloody go, mate. <laughs> I'm not even going to try and do that. It's not, he can't, go on, you try it. No, because if it's worse than yours, that puts me in a exactly. real terrible no. position. <laughs> so I'm not going to do it. But if... Ange Postacoglu can go into Tottenham and he can manage to convince Daniel Levy mm. to make investment in the squad, even while selling Harry Kane, bring in new players and someone like Werner, for example, on loan in January and tell them that this is the way things need to be done. Mm. And they've listened to him. Who's to say he couldn't go into Manchester United and do that? I don't know, because we've seen similar things at Manchester United where the owners have been quite yeah, but ultimately stubborn. Levy, Levy wants success. And the Glazers, for example, they're not that bothered. And Rich, like, is not Richard Arnold, the um, oh, not anymore, John Murter or whoever it is. Point director. They might say they want, they want success, but they've also spent a lot of money trying to get success, and it hasn't worked. So he he would have a tougher fight on the hands. But to compare him to like Ten Hag, Ten Hag came into Man United and said, "I can't play like I like I want to play at Ajax. I can't replicate this style." I don't understand. That. And it was I like, why? That point. Why can you not? Why can you not? Ajax were fluid. Um, good on the counter attack, but possession based as well. Like they were, they always have been. Ajax, Ajax had never really changed over the That's past the fifty DNA. years. DNA, like ever since it? Cruyff yeah. was, you yeah, know, yeah. involved in the club, they practically invented four three three. I think they've had so many great youth players, but I don't think they need to play this way. Like for instance, the West Ham way is a term we always hear thrown around when it comes to West Ham. What is the West Ham? Oh, way? West Ham fans don't even know what the West Ham. And way also is. Tottenham Hotspur. What is the Tottenham Hotspur way? Fast road, attacking football. <laughs> yeah, I just I just don't think fans or people know what they want. Yeah, they I just bet. want to win. 
You hear that with every club, don't you? The Everton way. What yeah. the hell is the Everton way? I don't know. I don't really care what way my team play, as long as we win. The winning way. I care yeah. about the winning have a goal more way. than anything else. And yes, when you watch turgid football and you don't win games, it makes it so much worse, which is why I think West Ham fans are in a strange situation at the moment, because David Moyes doesn't play good football, but he's getting results. They're seventh, eighth in the Premier League. They're getting results. I've watched my team play terrible football, but be top of the table. I don't care because winning is the best feeling. Winning is the best feeling in football. The game is about glory. When you're in it professionally in elite sport, the game is about winning. But I feel like when you win, the entertainment naturally comes with it. There's so nothing better it's not, than a last minute winner. Like How many say, times when have you, you lose? Of course, you're not going to look at your team and think we play the most attractive style of football. So I don't really give a crap anyway. I mean, you look at Pochettino's Spurs team. That was the i the person yeah. that was the personification of a team that played beautiful football, some of the best football I've seen in the Premier in the last 10 years, and yet they had nothing to show for but it. But losing is losing, Joel, and I guess that's why we should give credit to someone like Postacoglu, who, even though they're down to nine men against Chelsea, they still play a high line, and then they get picked off by Nicholas Jackson with that hat-trick, balls over the top, in around the back, Eric Dyer comes on, can't keep up, but yet a loss is a loss. You don't get more than three points because you scored a few extra goals. Yeah. That's what goal difference is for. You lose three points, you that, park it, you move on to the next one. That year when Chelsea won um, the Every league, game 1-0. <laughs> yeah. They conceded 15 goals all season. They scored 72, which is less than two goals a game. So scoring 72 goals. Arsenal scored 87 and came second. Were Chelsea fans annoyed that they weren't scoring and winning 3 or 4 nil every every really week? Hell. They were buzzing when they went 1-0 up and John Obi Mikel started warming up because that was it. It was game <laughs> over. Jeremy. Yeah, game <laughs> over. That was it. You know... It's just like that. Everton that season finished fourth, minus one goal difference. Do you think they were annoyed that they finished in the Champions League spaces with a minus one goal difference? I'm not sure how that's physically bloody possible. I feel, but, I, but I, it works. I feel like it depends on the club, though, because, example, if your club's got a very rich DNA in a certain style of football, I think the best example would be Barcelona. Barcelona have been known to sack managers who've been relatively successful, but they don't play the way that they want to be entertained, you know, to entertain their fans. Similarly, in a sense, Man United, because although we went in in a a time frame of when Mourinho won those three trophies in his first season, there still wasn't satisfaction among the United fan base. Sure, probably one of the best seasons we've had in the last 10 years. But in the end of the day, at these top clubs, they want to entertain as well at the same time. It, it almost has to come in harmony, doesn't it? Winning, but also entertaining. And I think it depends on how much pressure your club's under to do that. Bayern Munich are another one where they could win majority of the trophies that season. But if they're not satisfied with the way the team looks on the pitch, they'll not hesitate to go and switch. Mm. So I think it just depends on the vision of the team, doesn't it, really? All right, well, Joel's putting Manchester United in the sea for the... <laughs> second half, second we're half. We're running out of space on the seabed, aren't we, for Manchester United? They've been thrown in there so <laughs> many times, along with Onana. Klopp, Jürgen Klopp, Klopp's he's definitely down, down there. <laughs> yeah, he's down in there. I'm just going to do my one quickly. Troy Deeney, I don't know if any of you saw oh, this. Yeah. It's not the Premier interview. League related, yeah, but he is a former Premier League player. About this one, actually. Um, he's the manager of Forest Green Rovers, who are really struggling at the moment. He really dug out a player this weekend, Fankati Dabo, who was formerly of Coventry and missed a penalty kick in the playoff final at Wembley back in May. Had Coventry won that, they'd be a Premier League side. And that's something that Troy Deeney was quite happy to dress him down over in front of his own teammates and in front of the media this weekend when Forrest Green were beaten, I think, 
in their match on Saturday afternoon, basically just hung this player out to dry. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, I don't think anyone associates Troy Deeney with good management. <laughs> in any, or management. In any uh, context. Yeah, it was it was awful. I, I read it and then I heard it and it didn't, it got worse. Like, How long do we think he lasts for in management? I'd struggled to see another chairman taking him on after seeing him dig him out like that. He might have had a point. But there are many, 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 many players around the world who have had shocking games. And you might get strips torn off you by your manager at any level, but not to the media. You don't you don't tell the media that. You've got to you've got to build your player back up. And the fact that he was playing for a championship club, a top end championship club like Coventry, should be enough of a reason to prove that if you put your arm around him and you get the best out of him, yeah. he's a good player. Well, here's a quote from Troy Deeney. You were one kick away from being a Premier League player. Now you wouldn't even get a game in the National League. Is that what he said? Right. Yeah. yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, all right, Troy. In that case, why are you giving him a kick for a League Two side? He already said, and then he went on to say he won't be playing on Tuesday, so you can have that for for something as well. And he yeah. said, he said, uh, you know, basically said he's going to get dropped. So, well, Forest Green, bottom of the Football League. But I just didn't like how that unfolded. I understand that some things need to be said to the media to maybe keep the players on their toes a little bit, but that just felt like bullying to me. Yeah, and if you challenge Troy Deeney to it, I very much doubt it's not going to end in a physical fight. Well, Forest Green are bottom of the Football League. They are rock bottom, 24th place in League 2, 18 points. They're going down. They're going out of the Football League. They will be a National League club next season, no doubt about it in my mind, particularly if Troy Deeney keeps digging the players out like that. It's unlikely they're going to get a response. The only way that I think Forest Green's players respond is out of spite for their manager, not because they're playing for him, but probably to prove him wrong for some I'd, of the things that he's said. I'd, if that was one of my teammates as well, I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd be like, well, that's too far. I'd, why would I want to play for that man? I just think it's it's had more of an effect than what he might think. Even if it was a Sunday league manager, I'd be like, yeah. well, who are you to tell me this type of thing? And, I mean, you're not proved anything in that kind of position either. It's like, well, why should we follow you then? You're not yeah. my kind of leader. Exactly. Anymore. Troy Deeney, since being retired, I think said some questionable things. Didn't he say that he would be a better centre forward for holding the ball up than Harry Kane or yeah, something? He said like that, that about many players. Yeah. Better finisher than Van Persie, better this, better <laughs> that. Well, why did you not show us that? Yeah, nonsense. That's it for getting the C. Troy Deeney is going in. And that's it for today's podcast as well. Don't forget, hitting subscribe is the best way to stay in the loop with the show. And also joining the Telegram group, the link to which is in the description, is a good way to keep on top of all of the latest Premier League conversation. We'll be back again tomorrow. There's also links in the description to that special NordVPN deal, nordvpn.com forward slash FSD is the link to use if you want to grab yourself a discounted subscription. Social media links to there as well. But from Joel Marley and myself, that's all for today on FSD. We'll speak to you again tomorrow. See you then. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.